Chapter 6, Part 1 of A Magician Among the Spirits by Harry Houdini. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6, Part 1 Dr. Slade and His Spirit Slates. Slate writing was an especially fortunate find for mediums. Its results were obtained in full light and the whole thing seemed so simple and direct that apparently there was nothing to investigate and, comparatively speaking, there were no blank seances. Such success led to carelessness and exposures followed, so numerous and complete that it is quite unnecessary to list them all here. Every once in a while, though, some medium still takes a chance when opportunity offers and gives a test to especially gullible sitters, but today no medium with any pretensions to class would think of anything so common as slate writing in its old form. Spirit slates are now listed in the catalogues of houses dealing in conjuring apparatus and the fraud mediums who formerly made use of them are employing the safer and easier swindles of automatic writing, trance or trumpet messages, and the Ouija board. The infinite grafting possibilities of the spirit slates seem to have been overlooked until adopted and put into usable form by Dr. Henry Slade, a man who had acquired an unenviable reputation in New York City. But it is extremely doubtful if the present generation would have known anything about Dr. Slade had the perpetuation of his name been left to the quality of his mediumship for he was only one of a large number of conjuring fakirs who bamboozled the credulous of his day. However, he was brought into the limelight on two notable occasions. First, by being exposed and criminally prosecuted in London, and second, when poor old Professor Zollner, a noted German astronomer and physicist, fell for his simple conjuring, and fell so hard that he made Slade the hero of his great work, Transcendental Physics. Like D.D. D. Home and many others, after making a reputation in America, Slade jumped over to London, for England's arms seem ever open for the reception of mediums who have made good here, and if a medium escapes the toils of American investigators, he has little to fear from willing believers on the other side of the Atlantic, though as a matter of fact several were sent to jail there. Slade reached England in July 1876 and began to hold sittings at once and was soon cleaning up in fine shape. The late John Neville Maskelyne, the great English magician, told me that crowds of people rushed to witness the phenomena, paying one guinea each for a sitting lasting but a few minutes. You would think they were giving gold guineas away. The doctor must have netted some hundreds of pounds weekly, which in those days was rated a high sum of money for an individual performer. Then, 
Just as things were going so nicely for Slade, there came a sudden crash, for which two men were responsible. Professor Ray Lancaster, now Sir Ray Lancaster, and Dr. Horatio Duncan, now Sir Horatio Duncan. These men applied certain effective methods of scrutiny to Slade's exhibitions, which resulted in his arrest. The trial created a big sensation, not only in spiritual circles, but throughout the civilized world, and the Bow Street Court was the most popular show in London for several days, the top liner being J. N. Maskelyne, the magician, who performed all of Slade's tricks in the witness box. Slade was convicted and sentenced to three months at hard labor. An appeal was taken, and the decision quashed on account of a flaw in the indictment. While Sir Lancaster was procuring new summonses for Slade and his manager, Simmons, they both skipped across the Channel into France, thus closing the doors of England against Slade for all time, as he never dared to set foot on her unfriendly shores again. He made ready for a Paris performance, but a friend of Sir Lancaster's sent an account of the court proceedings to the Paris press, so the French people had the whole story before Slade was able to begin. While touring Europe in 1920, I had the pleasure of meeting Sir Ray Lancaster and hearing from him an account of Dr. Slade's undoing. Both he and Duncan were physicians. They had been laying their plans to expose to other mediums Herne and Williams, but Slade's unexpected arrival in London changed these plans, and instead they plotted the seance which proved to be Slade's downfall. Duncan was away from London at the time, but Sir Lancaster wired him and, while waiting for his return, attended one of Slade's seances. He pretended to Slade that he came to see if the spirits would write a message on the slates if he held them himself. Slade assured him that they would, and arrangements were made for a second sitting. Before Sir Lancaster left, Slade asked him if he had been in communication with any departed relatives. No, but I have an Uncle John, Sir Lancaster replied. Consequently, at the second sitting, the following message was received. I am glad to see you here again, John. But have you an Uncle John, I asked. No, Houdini, he replied, smiling. That is why everybody laughed in the courtroom at the time of the trial. You see, Slade thought I was a firm believer, and I allowed him to distract my attention. He said to me, You have a great deal of mediumistic power about you. I see them over you behind your head. As he said this, Sir Lancaster raised his head with seeming credulity, acting the part splendidly. What made you suspect Slade? I asked him. At the first seance, I noticed the tendons move on Slade's wrist as he held his hand outstretched under the table, 
Sir Lancaster replied, and while making a number of suspicious moves, he scratched the slates a number of times with his fingernail to simulate the noise made by a slate pencil when writing on a slate. On the return of Sir Duncan, it was arranged that he and Sir Lancaster should attend a seance together, and that Sir Duncan was to watch for the suspicious move, and when he saw it, signal Sir Lancaster. Everything worked as planned. On receiving the agreed signal from Duncan, Lancaster seized the slate containing the finished message, proving that a skillful exchange of slates had been made by Slade, and this was the real evidence which caused the downfall of Henry Slade in England. Blocked in Paris from working his tricks because of the publication of an account of his exposure in England, Slade seems to have gone to Germany, for it was during the next year, 1877, that he so successfully deluded Professor Zollner. Zollner is one of the names on which spiritualistic enthusiasts bank most heavily for proof of their claims. Even Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to this day quotes Zollner as indisputable authority. Nevertheless, Zollner is discredited by Mr. George S. Fullerton, secretary of the Sabert Commission. While in Germany, Mr. Fullerton made a special business of investigating the value of this Zollner endorsement, and at the time, all of the men who participated in the Slade investigation were alive with the exception of Zollner himself. Mr. Fullerton, in the summary of his report to the commission, said, Thus it would appear that of the four eminent men whose names have made famous the investigation, there is reason to believe one, Zollner, was of unsound mind at the time and anxious for experimental verification of an already accepted hypothesis. Another, Fetchner, was partially blind and believed because of Zollner's observation. A third, Scheibner, was also afflicted with defective vision and not entirely satisfied in his own mind with the phenomena. And a fourth, Weber, was advanced in age, and did not even recognize the disabilities of his associates. None of the men named had any previous experience or knowledge of the possibilities of deception. The Sabert Commission, in 1884, seems to have made the first systematic, organized effort to fathom the so-called phenomena of spiritualism and this commission sent for Slade, who was then operating in New York, and had him give a number of seances under their observation. But in spite of the fact that Slade gave the commission a personal letter thanking them for their courtesies and expressing his willingness to sit with them again, the commission considered his work fraudulent throughout. At a very early stage of the sittings, the commission noticed two kinds of communications. Those in answer to questions were slovenly written, often illegible. 
while those which came as voluntary contributions from the spirits were more carefully written, even to punctuation. It was very evident that this writing on the slates had been prepared previous to the sitting, while that written under the restraint of observation was the crude scrawl, abrupt in composition, and often almost or quite illegible. It was evident that where the nicely written communications were used, an exchange of slates had been effected, whereas the other writing was the result of such skill as could be brought to bear without detection under the unfavorable conditions. It was also noticed that all of the long messages most suspiciously resembled the handwriting of the medium. Every test to which Slade submitted proved to be transparent to the commission, and some of his efforts to mystify it were referred to as several little tricks, which he imputed to spiritual agency, but which were almost puerile in the simplicity of their ledger domain, and which have been repeated with perfect success by one of our number. After all the slate-writing mediums who came in answer to an advertisement broadcasted by the Sabert Commission had been examined by it, the acting chairman of the commission, Mr. Horace Howard Furness, invited the late Harry Keller to exhibit his slate-writing skill before it, not with any claim to supernatural phenomena, but as a magician openly admitting his purpose to baffle by purely natural means. Mr. Keller submitted to a series of tests far more complicated and difficult of execution than any produced by Slade or any other medium. Nevertheless, the commission was unable to detect his methods and admitted itself completely baffled. Mr. Keller told me that when Mr. Furness and Coleman Sellers, another member of the commission who was himself an amateur entertainer, applied to him for an exhibition of his skill as a slate writer, they expected him to do the stock tricks of Slade but someone tipped Keller off that Sellers had told the members of the commission what Keller was to do and his probable method of doing it, and for them to watch out for his modus operandi. So, not to be caught napping, Keller, like the skillful mystifier that he was, determined to outdo Slade and beat Sellers. As he told me about it, he laughed heartily, saying, If you could have seen Mr. Sellers' face at the time of the unfolding of the mystery, it would have done your heart good. When Keller arrived for the demonstration, he insisted that the commission furnish its own slates, so a boy was sent out who brought back about a dozen of various kinds. Then, all sat down around the table with hands resting, palm down, on its top. The commission opened the sitting by writing questions on the slates. Keller held them under the table with the thumb on top, and when he withdrew them in a few moments, they had answers to the questions written in a clear round hand. 
The questions gradually became longer and longer, but the replies kept pace with them, sometimes covering a whole side of the slate. Although the slates were all different and could not possibly be mistaken for one another, the commission began to put identifying marks on them. Once no pencil was put on the top of the slate, but the reply came just the same. This fact was commented upon, and Keller replied, Oh, my spirits can write without pencils, a statement which puzzled the members of the commission all the more. Finally, the magician asked them to write a question on a slate and cover it with another, placing the pencil between the two. Even this did not bother the spirits, for when the slates were returned, both sides were found covered with writing. The following extract from the preliminary report of the Sabert Commission, originally published in 1887, describes this performance of Harry Keller before members of the commission and shows the impression which it made on them. An eminent professional juggler performed, in the presence of three of our commission, some independent slate writing far more remarkable than any of which we have witnessed with mediums. In broad daylight, a slate perfectly clean on both sides was, with a small fragment of slate pencil, held under a leaf of a small, ordinary table, around which we were seated. The fingers of the juggler's hand pressed the slate tight against the underside of the leaf, while the thumb completed the pressure and remained in full view, clasping the leaf of the table. Our eyes never for the fraction of a second lost sight of that thumb, it never moved, and yet in a few minutes the slate was produced, covered with writing. Messages were there, and still are there, for we preserved the slate, written in French, Spanish, Dutch, Chinese, Japanese, Gujarati, and ending with Ich bin ein Geist und lieb mein Lagerbier. For one of our number, the juggler subsequently repeated the trick and revealed its every detail. The method which Keller used, and which he described to me, was this. With the consent of the owner of the hotel, whom he agreed to pay for any damage, he had a small trap made in the floor of the room, about as large as a hot air register, with the necessary means of opening and closing it. A plush rug with rectangular designs were placed over this trap, and one of the designs, which was just the size of the trap, was cut out with a razor, these cuts being imperceptible. The piece of rug was glued firmly to the top of the trap. In addition to these preparations, Keller bought a specimen of every variety of slate to be found in the downtown section of Philadelphia. When the time for the seance arrived, Barney, Keller's clever young assistant, was seated on a platform in the room underneath the trap with the assortment of slates by his side. 
As soon as the commission was seated around the table, he opened the trap and could then hear all that was said in the room above. When the exhibition commenced, he simply took the slate Keller put under the table leaf, selected one from his assortment to match it, wrote on it the answer, and then slipped it under Keller's fingers. In the case of a marked slate, he used that instead of a duplicate. Of course, it was perfectly easy for Keller to do his part without removing his thumb from the top of the table. A fake, pure and simple, you will say, Keller remarked to me, and then added, but that's what all spiritualistic manifestations are. In point of time, John W. Truesdale was probably the first exposer of Slade, as he investigated him as early as 1872, but the results of his investigation were not made public until he published his book, Bottom Facts, in 1883. In this book, he tells of setting a trap for Slade and proving that he substituted Slate's. As Sam Johnson of Rome, New York, Truesdell arranged for a seance with Slade. Knowing that his overcoat would be searched, he left it hanging on the hall rack with an unsealed letter in the pocket, and while waiting in the spirit room, he made the most of his opportunity to look around. Under the sideboard, he found a slate with a message written on the lower side which read, we are happy to meet you in this atmosphere of spirit research. You are now summoned by many anxious friends in the spirit life who desire to communicate with you, but who cannot until they learn more of the laws which govern their actions. If you will come here often, your spirit friends will soon be able to identify themselves and to communicate with you as on earth life. Alley. In a bold hand, Truesdale added, Henry, look out for this fellow. He is up to snuff. Alcinda. This was the name of Slade's deceased wife, a fact which Truesdale happened to know. He replaced the slate as he had found it. Slade presently appeared, and the seance began with the general phenomena of moving chairs, etc., preceding the slate-writing. When the name Mary Johnson appeared plainly written on the slate, Slade said it was Truesdale's sister. Upon being told that this was incorrect, Slade, pretending to change the light, drew the table over by the sideboard. As usual, he lost control of the slate, letting it fall to the floor, and as he stooped over to pick it up, took the prepared one instead. When he read the two messages, he became livid with rage, and turning to Truesdale, demanded to know what it meant and who had been meddling with the slate. "'Spirits,' was Truesdale's reply." There were a few tense seconds, and then the seance continued serenely. I was too young in Slade's time to seek an audience with him, but I have the good fortune to know Mr. Frederick E. Powell, a prominent magician and a member of the Society of American Magicians. 
he is one of the very few persons now living who had seances with Slade, and with his permission I quote the following description of his experiences with Slade. In the autumn of 1881 or 82, Henry Slade, the famous spirit medium, came to Philadelphia and took quarters at the Colonnade Hotel, where he opened a room in which to hold seances. At that time, I was instructor of mathematics in the Pennsylvania Military College at Chester, Pennsylvania. Reading the announcement of Slade's seances in a Philadelphia paper, I wrote to him and made an appointment for myself and Captain R. K. Carter to be present at one of them. Captain Carter was at that time our instructor in civil engineering. Reaching the colonnade at the appointed time, we were ushered into Slade's presence in a room bare of furniture, save a rather long table and several chairs placed in the center of the room, while at the side and just back of where Slade was to sit was a smaller table on which were piled a number of ordinary-looking school slates of various sizes. The center table had no cloth on it. Several small articles were on the mantelpiece, such as a smoker might use, viz., a matchbox, etc. According to my recollection, Slade was rather tall and slim, and of an ingratiating presence. He was expecting us, and at once placed me at a long table. The seance began with Slade holding two slates of rather large size and showing all their surfaces devoid of writing, placed them on the top of the table and, while rubbing their surfaces, kept a running fire of conversation. He then told us to place our hands on the table as near the center as possible with our little fingers touching. Slade placed the slates together and after a moment or two separated them, saying he had forgotten to put a piece of pencil between. This he did, and holding them together, placed them under the table with one hand, while he placed the other on the table so that his fingers touched our hands. This position was held for several minutes when he said he would see if he had gotten any results. Bringing the slates from under the table, he laid them on top, and after a moment told Captain Carter to look at them. Following this direction, Captain Carter separated them when one was found to have its entire surface covered with writing. This message, according to Slade, came from a man who had just died. Notice of the man's death had been published in the morning paper. The message was signed with the full name, but as neither Captain Carter nor I knew the man, we could not affirm or deny the correctness of the handwriting nor the truth of the signature. Captain Carter asked Slade if he might copy the message, but Slade demurred, saying he did not know if the spirits would like the message copied. I found it difficult to account for the reticence of the spirit or spirits since the message had been written for our information. Its purport was, as far as I can recall, 
that everything was very glorious in the spirit world and that he, the writer, was very happy. There was nothing in the message that was above the mentality of Slade or that was, in any sense, descriptive of spirit life. All was vague and unsatisfactory, where real information was desired. During this demonstration, and indeed throughout the entire seance, Slade sat sidewise to the table, his left hand resting generally on its top and his right hand free. Several short messages were next produced on a small slate held by Slade, under the table and out of sight, a short piece of slate pencil always being placed on the upper surface of the slate. Two points were made very emphatic by Slade. First, that the piece of pencil was always found just at the end of the last word of the message, and second, that the messages were found on the upper side of the slate, which according to Slade was held close against the under surface of the tabletop. However, as we could not see the slate when placed under the table, since we were reaching as far as we could to get our hands on the center of its top, and the slate was only shown to us when being brought from under its surface, it would have been an easy thing to lower the slate after placing it under the table and writing with a single finger of Slade's right hand, then bringing the slate to the under surface of the table, bring it slowly into sight. Once when the small slate was laid on top of the table, the sound of writing was distinctly heard. During this time, Slade had both hands on the upper surface of the table and in full sight. This was quite startling at the time, but later I discovered how to produce this sound of writing myself and without the aid of spirits. Once, while we were having our attention directed to a slate held by Slade, the unoccupied chair on the side opposite to Slade and almost at the side of Captain Carter suddenly rose so that its seat struck the underside of the table and then fell back with quite a thud. Another telling effect was carried out when Slade gave me one of the small slates telling me to hold it under the table. I did so, and felt it suddenly snatched from my hand. I was holding it with one hand, my other hand was on the top of the table, and carried with a scraping noise to the very end of the table, and there it rose above the surface enough to disclose about a third or possibly a half its length. Then it was carried swiftly back and put in my hand. This concluded the first seance, when Slade, after a moment, said he thought that was all he could get at the time. End of chapter 6, part 1